0: Well hey Hope City, it's great to be with you as we conclude our series, You Mad Bro, looking at these mad moments of Jesus and what made him upset, what got him frustrated, what grinded his gears. Now our hope is to align our heart with the heart of Christ and so the things that made him mad, I pray that it would make us mad, it would ruffle our feathers and get us passionate about those same things. And we've been working through this RAGE acronym over the course of this series, seeing what we uh, in our human anger and our humanness, get all upset about and, and what Jesus would get upset about. when we compared our rightness, versus reconciliation, we compared our appearances, versus authenticity. And then last week talking about this idea of getting angry about being good enough, versus grace and a message of grace, a, a, a system of grace. Now this week, as we conclude, we're talking about the difference between exclusivity and equality. Now, exclusivity is a big word, carries a lot of connotations and ideas here, and I want us to think for a moment, where do we see exclusivity in kind of everyday life? Everyday little systems or moments that we might find exclusivity could be around like the school lunch table, in the cafeteria, you've got cliques of people, there's exclusivity that takes place. Or maybe in your break room at work, you feel that at times, right? These are the cool kids at work, even as grownups, we can feel that. Uh, What about uh, remember the days of buying sports tickets? You go to a Mariners game or a Seahawks game or something, and and you'd have cheap seats and expensive seats, and then you've got suite seats where it's literally in a suite. And, and there were these tiers of, of quality and hierarchy and and exclusivity, to where the suites had like people standing at the doors, like checking ticket stubs to come in, and then those of us in the cheap seats would like sneak down to go sit in the expensive seats and try to get past the ushers, right? Like you, you feel that exclusivity. Uh, in the gym, uh, you can feel that because there's there's different amenities for different gym memberships and the premium and the black card and the and the regular Planet Fitness card membership or whatever you know. Planet Fitness has like this exclusive members club area where they can get massage and tanning and all of these things. You see it in pop culture. There's an episode of The Office in which Jim tries to exclude Michael because Michael, his boss, would make things awkward at this barbecue he's throwing. So he goes to great lengths to exclude someone uh, from his work environment in a social environment that he would have found. Or I was watching an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and one of the characters named Boyle finds out that he's been excluded by his coworkers. And it's, it's not from an event. It's not from a party or anything. It's from text threads. I'm not in any group chats and text threads with other people, and this like totally makes him feel insecure and left out. Meanwhile, everyone else is feeling like, yeah, we don't want you in these groups, Boyle, because you tend to overtext and text, 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 and make my phone blow up with all these vibrations. And see, when you're on the outside of this exclusion looking in, Man, we get upset for not being included. We, we get frustrated that people don't welcome us in. And when we're on the inside trying to protect that bubble, trying to protect that exclusivity, we also get upset, don't we? We get upset trying to maintain that bubble and that comfort zone, that safety. This idea of exclusivity permeates into various areas of our life, not just entertainment and sports and, and recreation and things like that, but it, it is real. And it permeates into our religious systems and our spirituality and and our spiritual lives. You see, because religion and and hyper-spirituality has the ability to divide people. It shuts people out. Even looking at Jesus' time, the religious leaders uh, were referred to as Pharisees. And this term Pharisee is one that I've read in the Bible so many times. But the word Pharisee in the ancient uh, Hebrew is actually translated as set apart that they were a people, these Pharisees were set apart. They were exclusive from everyone else. They had all these rules and laws and regulations and, and, and standards that they lived by. And what that did is that set them apart. It set them above. It shut them out from other people. And meanwhile, others are being shut out as well. And I think even now in 2021, uh, the American Christian can still fall into some of these same tendencies. The same insecurities and exclusivity and boundaries and social dynamics that play in our work or our school or our gyms can come into our church. We create holy huddles and holy Christian subcultures and we try to appear safe and controllable, familiar. But in the reality, we are creating holy bubbles that exclude people and shut people out, leave people feeling left out. And the exclusivity if we think about it, let's think about what's rooted below the surface there with that that desire for exclusivity. There's one of, of control. I want to control the environment, control other people, control how I feel. I desire safety and comfort and predictability. There's no faith related to that. It's just it's control, it's familiarity, it's safety. There's also a lot of power. And a lot of influence, a lot of pride and ego that goes into it. I'm better than other people. I want to keep them at a distance because they're going to infringe on this bubble of safety. And then we think about where anger is associated with this is that when anyone tries to impede that, anyone tries to impede or, or pop our little bubble, we will fight at all costs to preserve it and, and to, to maintain it. And the same is true within the Christian circles. You see, we care about exclusivity. And when we look at the life of Jesus, the thing he was passionate about, he didn't get angry about exclusivity. He got angry about inequality. He cared about equality of all people having access to God's love. All people, throughout his ministry and his teaching, you see Jesus contending for equality of people, people who are of different races and backgrounds and nationalities, people of different genders, financial status, sin records, people of different reputations, all of those things that Christians use to categorize and exclude people. Jesus came to to knock those barriers down and allow the love of God to permeate to all people of all backgrounds and looks and genders and social status and all of these things. Jesus came to bring equal access to God to all people. And we're gonna look at a mad moment today where uh, we could've picked a couple of different ones where he talked about gender, he talked about race, but we're gonna talk about age. And, And as we look at this, it's a very common story where people are obstructing access to Jesus. But it's not based on some of those other things, like their reputation or their their, uh, gender, their nationality. It's based on their age. The children were being restricted access from Jesus. And this riles him up. This gets Jesus upset. Let's take a look at it in Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. See, parents are bringing their kids to Jesus, and it's a sign of reverence. It's a desire for, for Jesus to just bless them, right? To just simply touch their children on the forehead would be a blessing upon them. They Parents wanted that. and We do that, right? We see people bring their little babies in front of politicians standing in a line like, touch my kid, as if some politician or some celebrity is going to just empower them and endow them with this blessing. Like That's what they're doing with Jesus. It is a sign of reverence. Meanwhile, the disciples are doing what? It says they were busy rebuking the parents, rebuking the children. And that word "rebuke" is this—it's—it's it's this blame. It's this check. It's this, and yet it's unjust. It's unfounded. There's no truth behind it. They're just blaming and frustrated here, and it, it carries a connotation also of being ineffective. They're correcting them, like, stay away from Jesus. You can picture them getting frustrated. They're peeling these kids off of Jesus' lap and handing babies back to parents, like, doing this, right? They're like elves at a mall Santa photo sh- scene, right? You know, you can picture the elves, like, picking up kids off of Santa's lap. Okay, Mom, here's the little kid. Okay, Dad, here's the little kid, right? And the kid's crying and things like that. The disciples are peeling these kids off of Jesus' lap and keeping them away, and, and and you have to you have to believe that their intentions were not malicious. They were probably well-intentioned. Of that culture, uh, the idea of keeping kids away from an influencer, somebody away from a teacher, somebody of power and influence and, and popularity like that would have been normal because kids, unlike today, were not cherished in ancient times. In the ancient world, kids were actually not this prized possession that they took all these framed school photos of them and, and posted them all over their Instagrams. Kids were, were not significant in that time. They had no status. They were often ignored. It is uh, said that at that time, even in ancient times, if parents didn't want their children... If They could discard them. They would literally take them out of the city limits, outside of the walls and into the wilderness, and they would literally just leave their child laying there, exposed to the elements, the animals, the dangers, the climate, whatever it is. And, and, and I think what that extreme example shows you is how low on the totem pole kids are. They are not these prized possessions. And so the, 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 the disciples are rebuking them and, and correcting these parents, bringing these kids back to their parents. What's going through their mind? Well, we can't have these kids distracting Jesus. We're here to see something incredible. We want to see a miracle. We want to hear something profound. We can't have Jesus getting snot all over his, his, uh, his clothes and drool all over himself from these kids. We're deeply spiritual people. Come on, man, get these kids out of here. These nuisances... These things are just in the way. Get them out of here. you know. And that's what's happening because that was the cultural mindset. Think about what that looks like in our churches today. In the American church culture, we have, as adults, peeled kids out of the sanctuary, and we've sequestered them into what? Kids' ministry and youth ministry. We've said, you know, we don't want you to disrupt and, and interrupt what's going on for the super spiritual adults in the big church environment, so go have fun at kids' church. Right, We've sequestered them, we've peeled them off and and, and put them there because we don't want them to uh, be in the way of what us holy, spiritual, mature adults want to do in the sanctuary and in the presence of God. Now obviously I'm exaggerating, but that is the the culture that we now live in. The idea that kids would sit in the sanctuary disrupts us. The, The idea that we had church in the yard and kids were with the adults this last summer was a disruption for some. It made them uncomfortable. And hear my heart on this, that why we, I mean, we have kids ministry, we've got youth ministry. The idea here is not to extract them out of the sanctuary so that we can be holier. The idea and the intent that we have, and many churches have, is that we want to create a contextualized, relevant, applicable, age-appropriate encounter with Jesus for these kids and for these youth. Because I understand that if they are sitting in here with us, there's many times that I'm going to bore them to their eyeballs with with my messages, right? So let's put them in an environment where they can go and they can sing and they can dance and they can be with their friends and they can have object lessons and learn and they can encounter Jesus in their way. Man, we want that for them because they, they matter to us and we value the children of our church. That's why it saddens me right now that we don't have enough volunteers to make that possible. We're actually having to to close some of our classrooms right now. The reality is we just don't have enough volunteers to make this possible. But the idea of why we have kids ministry is, is not to get them out of the way. But that could be the unintended message that our kids see and hear the way we talk about kids church and youth ministry. I've heard pastors say that and this is another example. I've heard pastors say that, that youth and kids should not be learning about the Holy Spirit because it's confusing to them. We're not going to talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit because that's going to be confusing to them and we don't want to confuse them. Let's keep it to different topics. I mean, literally, have senior pastors have said these things. This has been their, their viewpoint on it. And that's ridiculous because what are you doing? You're peeling kids away from the Spirit of God being an active part of their life. You're the, like the disciples, peeling them away from the presence of God, the power of God. I've heard Christians describe worship nights, prayer nights, life groups, and we use this exclusive language. It sounds holy. It sounds spiritual. Oh, we're going to be prayer warriors tonight. We need mature Christians. We want people that are going to be all in. We don't want to be spiritually light. We want to go deep. We want to be real. We want to be right in the thick of it with the presence of God. And we use this language that is very exclusive. We use language that says we want to peel off the spiritually immature, the spiritually inexperienced. We want to peel off, and, and we're not doing it based on age sometimes. We're doing it based on experience level. And, 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 and are you Pentecostal enough? Do you speak in tongues? Do you, are, do you experience the power of God in the same way I do? And what we end up doing is being just like the disciples, and we're peeling Christians away from the presence of God. And Jesus gets mad at this. Mark says that he is indignant. There is this feeling of pain and deep emotion. And this is one of the few times that Jesus got mad at his own team. It's not just at the religious leaders of the time. He gets upset. And kind of picture Jesus as he says this. And I, I would normally read this as this kind of Mr. Rogers tone of, Let the little children come to me and don't hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these But when Mark says that he is indignant, it carries this other connotation. It carries this frustration. You can almost picture Jesus like stomping his foot, putting his foot down and saying, hey, knock it off, guys. Let the children come to me. Do not get in their way. Do not hinder them because the kingdom of God, you can picture him holding a kid, the kingdom of God belongs to people like this, these little ones. I came to bring the kingdom of God to the little ones, young in age, young in faith, young in knowledge, young in all of these ways. I came to bring the kingdom of God to them. How dare you get in the way of that? Why would you obstruct that? You can see and feel the, the indignation, the frustration, the pain that Jesus feels towards his own disciples. What are you thinking? Who do you think you are getting in the way and peeling people away from the presence and power and kingdom of God? disciples, no matter their intentions, they're actually denying access to God. And that makes Jesus mad. Jesus' words remind me the difference between bouncers and doormen. Bouncers, like you see in the movies, uh, stand outside of the club. they got the clipboard and the muscles and the earpiece and sunglasses and everything. They keep people out. Their job is to keep people out that are unwelcome. And they slam the door in their face and exclude others because they don't measure up or because they don't fit in or because they aren't good enough or all these these different reasons, right? But it contradicts what Jesus came to do, to create a clear and accessible path to the power of God, a clear and accessible path to the kingdom of God. So instead of being a bouncer that excludes and shuts people out, I think Jesus is saying we need to be more like doormen. You ever been to a place with a doorman? right? They're anticipating your arrival, and then they see you coming, and they grab the door, and they stand to the side, and they say, right this way, right? They kind of wave in motion, and they clear the path. Watch your step right there. It's right this way, and you're going to go in, and they open the door, and I think that's what Jesus is saying that the disciples needed to be what we needed to be. When he's contending for equality, when he's contending for equal access to the Father, what he's saying is stop getting in the way, Stop excluding others. Stop shutting people out. Open the door and point them to Christ. Right this way. Watch your step. Enjoy. Jesus cares about equality, and and here's a question for us. What are we doing to help the next generation connect with Jesus? Think about that for yourself. What are we doing to help the next generation connect with Jesus? If Jesus had his way, the disciples would have been picking the kids up and putting them in his lap right? Bring me the children. Let the children have access to me, right? What are we doing as a church? What are you doing as a a part of this church to help the next generation connect with Jesus? That's not going to happen on accident. That's intentionality. That's us creating a clear pathway, opening up the door and getting out of the way, pointing the way, including others, not shutting them out. What's interesting is as we look at that that mad moment with Jesus, we see that contending for equal access to God benefits others, but it also benefits you. Contending for equal access to God benefits others, and it actually benefits you. Because we're prioritizing bringing the gospel to all people, regardless of race, uh, gender, social status, sin status, reputation, whatever it is, right? We're gonna open the door to Jesus to all people. And what is that? It benefits them because they're going to hear the gospel message. They're going to see the love of God. They're going to have a clear, accessible path towards Jesus. Like That's awesome, and that's beneficial to everyone that we open that door to. But Jesus is also showing you that it's also going to help you grow. It's going to benefit you. Did you catch uh, in the end there of that passage, I tell you the truth, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God is like, like a child, will never enter it. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Like, Jesus is instructing the crowd to be more like children, which is crazy talk in that ancient time, because we talked about how they, they, they did not value children in that culture in the same way. Right? So some people in that audience would have heard this and thought, you want me to be like a child? You want me to be foolish? You want me to be immature? You want me to be demanding? You want me to be in the way? You want me to be stubborn? all these negative connotations that we think about children sometimes, young people. No, Jesus wants us to be like children because if you look at the, the faith of a child, and that's what he wants us to see, be like the children. Be like the children in faith, willing to believe, willing to trust, not demanding empirical evidence. Kids don't demand facts and figures and, and a bibliography. They aren't stuck in that, they're curious, they ask questions, they're inquisitive, but there's an innocence, a purity to it. There's a dependency in their nature to be childlike. That's what Jesus desires for us. And that's possible because we're around kids. See, what happens if all we ever do is surround ourselves with carbon copies of ourselves? What happens if I just surround myself with a bunch of people that look and sound and and believe what I believe, that are just like me, right? One negative, I withhold the gospel from other groups of people. I'm withholding and excluding someone from the good news of Jesus. That's a negative because I'm only uh, surrounding myself in this holy huddle of people that that are uh, similar to me. But we also miss the chance to grow and develop because if you think about it, How do you develop a childlike faith if you're not around children? The only way to develop the childlike faith is to spend time with kids. Jesus is using them as a teaching point to say, be like them. And the only way you're going to be like them is if you care about them and you honor them and you're around them. And as you spend time around kids, man, it changes you from the inside out. I I believe it does. And and being a parent, I I know I've experienced this at times. I've had my, my really... Uh, revelatory moments. Recently, I was doing a a little Bible time with our our eight-year-old Kinley, and we were reading our Bibles and talking about it, and we hit this word forgiveness. This is an example of how I I took on a childlike faith by being around a child. We're reading our Bibles, we're discovering this word forgiveness, and I struggled to define for an eight-year-old what is forgiveness. What does it mean to truly forgive someone? And, we kind of, and, and I found myself leaning into Christian cliches and, and, and semantics that I was very good with adults, but I was struggling with the eight-year-old. And she couldn't wrap her, like you could see the light bulb just wasn't turning on. And we stumbled upon this illustration of Nintendo because my eight-year-old loves Nintendo. We have a Nintendo Switch. She loves it. I think she wants to name our next dog Mario. And she loves playing Mario. And when you play Mario and you make a mistake in a level, what happens? You start over. You get a new life and you start at the beginning of the level, right? You die and you restart the level and you move forward. And you die and you restart and you move forward. You die, and you restart, and you move forward, right? And as we we're talking about forgiveness, we began to stumble upon this idea of forgiveness. And when I when I forgive you, what am I saying? Let's restart. Yeah, we fell into the pit relationally. We had conflict, we fought, we got angry at each other. We fell into a pit, like Mario falls into a pit. But guess what? When I forgive you, I'm saying, Kenley, let's restart. And let's start over and try it new. There's a new beginning, a fresh start, a restart for today. And boom, we started to see that light bulb come on for her. But guess what? The light bulb came on for me. That's what forgiveness is. It's a fresh start. When I ask for forgiveness from Jesus, I'm given a fresh start, a new beginning. When I ask my wife to forgive me and she forgives me, fresh start, new beginning. You see, I began to see the world through the eyes of a child because I was spending time with a child. I may not have gotten there, or not as quickly, if I wasn't intentionally taking time to be around them. See, how do you see the world through the new lens if you don't spend time with people different than you? And so those are two key questions I want us to to wrestle with as we conclude our time. Who will I connect with that is younger than me? Think about that. Who are you going to connect with that's younger than you? Jesus intentionally connected with people that were younger than him, invested in the next generation. He told the disciples this matters. He got passionate about it. And so we need to be passionate. Who are you connecting with that is a younger generation? And the second question is this. What am I doing to help the next generation connect with Jesus? You see, I don't want them just connecting with me. I want to be like the doorman. I want to be like the disciples, and I want to bring people and put them in the lap of Christ. What am I doing to help the next generation connect with Jesus? Now, obviously, today, we're focusing on age. Holistically, we we want to be people who open the door to all people, people of different races, people of different backgrounds, people of different genders, financial status, reputation, sin history across the board, right? We want it all. We want to open the door the door. We want to be a church that cares passionately about all people having equal access to Jesus. That's our heart. That's our prayer. And that's what we're going to be passionate about. Let's pray. Jesus, right now, I pray as these questions are kind of rattling in our brains, and I pray that this week as we reflect on who we're going to connect with and how we're going to connect them with you, I pray that you would give us names, faces, people in our lives. Put those things on our hearts and on our minds right now, and I pray that you would give us a courage, a boldness, and a passion to reach out to the next generation, the younger generation around us. I pray that we would no longer be people who shut them out based on our fears, our insecurities, our discomfort. I pray, God, that we would not ever obstruct people from experiencing your love. Help us to be a church that clears the path so that everyone can see and experience who you are, Jesus, because you love them, and I pray that we love them like you love them. Help us to love this world. Help us to make an impact in this world for your kingdom. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.